Mark's going to come and preach on this passage uh, in a moment, and it's Luke 7, Luke 7, beginning to read at verse 36. Luke 7, beginning to read at verse 36, and it's there on the screen. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating... Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> Could you hear me? Oh, OK, thanks very much. <laughs> when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, and that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon... I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. May the Lord add his blessing to his inspired and infallible word. Amen. Mark, if you'll come, we will pray for you. Lord, I pray for my brother Mark, and I thank you for him, and I thank you for who he is and the gifts that he has. And I pray now that you'll lead him as he preaches your word to us. May we hear God speak this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you very much, John. As I, and as I'm speaking today, feel free to look at me all at the table we have just been at. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Mark. I'm the youth and children's pastor. 
And normally I'm in shorts and a t-shirt and with the kids, so it's a special privilege to be with you guys today. And hopefully you can see from my attire that you'll take me at least somewhat half seriously today. You know, a decade ago, I was in the Middle East, a foreigner new to the country of Lebanon, and had a friend called John. And John introduced me to his shabibi. It's a beautiful Arabic word that means youth or group of young people. And so he took me to his church's shabibi. And as I went there, and I sat, like many of you are sitting now, there was a speaker who spoke about hospitality. And I found out very quickly that I was going to be the group's guinea pig. I was the only foreigner in the group. What would happen when the speaker had finished speaking? Well, when he had finished speaking, how we should welcome those who are not from us, the outsider, the foreigner, I thought, he's talking about me. He came down and sat next to me and welcomed me. So far, so good. He practiced what he preached. And then he had to get going, he left. And then I went to talk to the Shabibi, the group of young adults. That's when the problem started. You see, they had created, literally, a holy huddle. A circle in which me being the outsider could not penetrate. Every time I tried to greet someone or try to make friends, they would go, yeah, hi and start chatting to their fellow friends, and I felt very left out. And I left that evening dejected. My friend John had been distracted by a friend of his, and so later he apologized and said, the leader of this group is furious you weren't welcomed, and now he would love you to come back. We would love you to come back, and I promise you they'll be more friendly. And I said to him, no way. Why would I come back now that they're forced to like me? I'm very sorry, John. I can't do it. I've never met a group so inhospitable. So what went wrong? The speaker had told them to be hospitable. He told them the what, but I don't think he told them the why. Today, we're looking at how does hospitality aid our mission, and we're looking this month at hospitality. Well, that Shabibi looked at what they should be doing, but they didn't really get why. They didn't get mission, Christ's mission. And so their how, their practice, failed. But not only that, their hearts were hostile to the message the speaker had given. That's me saying, please listen to what I'm going to say. So as we look at this passage, this different dinner scene to what we've just done, how can we avoid being like that Shabibi? Please don't get me wrong, this isn't me saying, you guys are rubbish at hospitality. This is to make sure we aren't like that Shabibi. How does hospitality aid our mission? Well, first of all, we've got to define these two terms, mission and hospitality, and I'll define mission in a little bit, but first let me define hospitality. It's this. 
It's the friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. The friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. So now let's look at this remarkable dinner scene. We have Simon the Pharisee. He's actually a pretty good bloke because he invites Jesus round for a meal. So many of his peers would not do this. They would just walk away from him. But Simon invites him into his home, puts on a fantastic spread because in the Middle East they're known for their food and hospitality, let me tell you. And perhaps he had heard Jesus speak or had heard about these wonderful signs and miracles. And so he is excited to have Jesus, the great teacher, at his home. And yet, something happens that disrails the whole thing, that takes away the hospitality he intended, that, that was no longer on his terms. A sinful woman crying at the feet of Jesus, drying Jesus' feet with her hair. You can imagine that with my hair, because my hair's short, but with her hair, kissing his feet. Feet in the Middle East, which is considered unclean, and then pouring perfume on them. I don't care what you say, that is deeply distracting. If that happened at your house, believe me, your plans would be derailed. And perhaps we can relate to Simon, because wouldn't one of you be thinking, I can't believe it, I'm trying to have a good dinner here, but she's just in the way. Why is she here? Can't she just leave? I'm trying to ignore her, but her presence just makes it so difficult. And perhaps also we can relate to Simon's inner thoughts, because he says in verse 39, doesn't Jesus know who this woman is? If Jesus knew that she was a sinful woman, he wouldn't allow her to touch him. Particularly a holy man. Perhaps he isn't who he says he is. Sadly, Simon, your true colors then show. Where his true sense of hospitality towards Jesus really lies. Because if we jump to verse 44, Jesus calls Simon out for his lack of hospitality. His lack. He invited Jesus around for a meal to his house. Isn't that hospitality? Yes, but it's much more than just feeding someone and giving someone a delicious meal. Hospitality is being generous in your welcome. It's receiving visitors, strangers, guests. It is honoring. And what does Jesus say to Simon? I entered your house, but you did not give me water for my feet, a kiss of greeting, oil for my head. This is the worst case scenario for Simon, because Jesus criticizes and attacks Simon in his own home, in public, 
at the event he is hosting right then and there. Not, Simon, let's talk afterwards. Let me give you a few tips. No, in front of all his guests, Jesus says, you have done badly. As a host, you have failed. Now, if Simon had forgotten one thing, you could think that's potential oversight. But he forgot a list, which tells you something. That Simon's invite was actually inhospitable hospitality. Inhospitable hospitality. If you notice what John has been reading, Simon is much more interested in how Jesus interacts with this sinful woman than honoring Jesus. And instead, he actually wants to humiliate Jesus because he does nothing to honor the guest of honor. He invites Jesus in superficially into his home, but not his heart. And Jesus calls him out of his lack of love and his lack of faith. Simon's actions betray where Jesus, sorry, Jesus shows that Simon's actions betray where he really is at, despite his initial invitation. But why? Why has Simon done this? Sadly, just like that Shabibi, Simon's inhospitality reflects his lack of getting Jesus' mission. In fact, his heart is hostile to the mission and person of Jesus. His heart is hostile, it's hard, and refuses to receive Christ in a way that is both submissive and transformative. And I wonder, for us and for myself, are we secretly Simon? Where are we inhospitable in our own hearts? Where we are superficially hospitable to Jesus, but elsewhere we are actually hostile. Where we refuse to change, wanting things only on our own terms, with our own agenda and our own mission. Well, whatever you think of Simon, this contrasts sharply with the sinful woman's hospitality towards Jesus, because hers is not inhospitable, but is heartfelt. If we looked at this passage at verse 37, we might think she has come to interrupt the dinner party, make an unfortunate scene. It was well-intended but she really has bad timing, doesn't she? Why couldn't she have done it later? Actually, nothing could be further from the truth. Notice what Jesus says in verse 45. He says this, Simon, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Jesus points out, not the time she entered, from the time Jesus entered. Jesus doesn't see this as an interruption. He sees this as her honoring him. And it further condemns Simon, who clearly knew who this woman was. He says to himself, 
Doesn't she know who Jesus, uh, who this woman was, this sinful woman? And yet, why didn't he chase her from his home if she was such a problem? Because he didn't want to honor Jesus, but to meet Jesus on his terms. Kenneth Bailey, who's a Middle Eastern New Testament scholar and expert, noticed that this account of this dinner scene only makes sense if the woman who has heard Jesus before proclaiming his message of grace to sinners, because she is moved by it, she believes it, and wants to honor Jesus. That was her mission. And so notice she comes to honor Jesus with this jar of perfume. She comes into the home to anoint him. And to her dismay, she finds the lack of decorum towards Jesus from the host. There is no washing the feet. There is no kissing of greeting. There is no oil on the head. And her plans are being scuppered. He's been dishonored, she thought. I do not have any water to wash him. I do not have a towel to dry his feet. What can I do? And so she weeps. She weeps profusely at his feet and then dries them with her hair. No one who's pre-planned this would do this. would bring a towel. She's doing it at personal cost to her. Then she kisses his feet tenderly with love and honor and then carefully anoints his feet. You might think this woman's come to disrupt things, but ironically, she has come to honor him. While Simon, a respectable leader, a pillar in the community, middle class, dishonors him. Simon, who's used to having great guests at his house, fails to do one thing that would make Jesus feel that he is a guest that is truly welcomed. He has inhospitable hospitality. She has heartfelt hospitality. And she is hostile, though. Don't get me wrong. She is hostile, not to Jesus, but to him being dishonored, to him being unwelcomed. And instead, she embraces what is uncomfortable, even at the cost of her. And so I wonder for us, and for myself, are our hearts fully receptive and welcome to the mission and person of Jesus? Do our actions reflect this welcome? So we have two models, Simon and the woman. But we have still yet to talk about the mission, so let's quickly do that. Have a look at verse 41 in the mini parable. Jesus says this, two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which one of them will love him more? So imagine these two debtors they cannot pay. And instead of this money lender saying, 
take you to jail, going to get you reprimanded, going to get bailiffs knocking on your door. Instead, he cancels it and takes the cost into himself, letting them go free. He has canceled and forgiven his debts because of his generosity, because of his hospitality. Because even though one is a greater debtor than the other, it doesn't matter. Both have no way of paying him back. But please note, this isn't about money, not really, this is an illustration. Because the next few verses, Jesus starts talking about sin. And he's saying there's really two sinners, one greater than the other, but there's still no way to cancel that debt unless the money lender, unless Jesus cancels it for them. And this conveys his mission, this parable. He has come at great cost to himself, as we looked at the table earlier, to forgive the debts of sinners, of people like you and me, and of those out of our doors. Because no one has any way of canceling their own sin. He's come to forgive sinners. And in Luke 19, Jesus says, the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Now look at what Jesus is saying in verse 42. He said to Simon, now which one of them will love him more? He's really saying, which one of these sinners will love me more? And Simon's response shows where he's at, doesn't it? He goes, I suppose the one whose debt has been greatly forgotten. It's never good if someone starts a response with, I suppose. It's a lack of conviction, a lack of clarity. But Jesus says, you have judged rightly. And Jesus goes to show how much the sinful woman, not Simon, through her use of hospitality, gets it and understands the amount of debt that she's been in and knows how much she's been forgiven. Don't forget, in the Middle East, hospitality is the way where you show generosity, you show care, you show love, you show respect, you show honor to someone. And the woman who is clearly the bigger debtor is overwhelmed at a debt being paid and at the hospitality of Jesus who has paid for her sin. She recognizes how sinful she truly was. And so her response, she loves much. You have a look at verse 50. What does save her? Is it her love that saves her? No. He finishes with this. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Her faith, her faith in the mission and person of Jesus. What, what mission? For sinners to be forgiven. What mission? For sinners' debts to be cleared. For what mission? For them to come to Jesus, love Jesus, and to put their faith in Jesus. What mission? For Jesus to be fully received in their own hearts, fully welcomed in every crack, nook, and cranny 
every part of the heart declaring that Jesus is Lord. That, that is the mission. Pastor Tim Chester says it's like this. It's delighting in the Son and was sent so others might do the same. And where you get Simon and his friends going, who is this that even forgives sins? We need to be like the woman. In wonder and in welcome, asking, who is this that even forgives my sins? Because the issue here is that Simon didn't really think much of the debt being cleared. And so his belief in Jesus is little, and so he loves little. But the woman, the woman who knows her incredible debt, she knows it's vast and overwhelming. But the forgiveness of cancellation is incredible. And she knows how much she's forgiven, and so she loves much. And she believes much. And she delights much. And that delight will spill over to telling others about him. It got her going to a stranger's house to embarrass herself to make sure that Jesus was honored. The danger is, though, we can easily become like Simon, comfortable in our omissions, and Christ's mission becomes murky in our own hearts. So, do we share the clear mission of the woman who wept to ensure Jesus was well attended, even at a dear cost? That we will do heartfelt hospitality that's full of mission, that's missional, knowing what Jesus has done for us. And that's not just for ourselves right here, though that is important, but for others in our workplaces, in our communities, in our homes, and even here in this building. For Christ to be welcomed. John Piper said this, that mission happens because worship doesn't. And so we want hospitality to aid our mission. Our hearts must first be full of worship. Not just on Sunday morning, but every day. Otherwise, like that shabibi, our hospitality will falter because our desire for the mission will wane. Are we worshiping Christ first? Because only when we worship him will we be propelled to do mission. That woman who wept and dried and kissed and anointed, did it as an act of worship. And I appreciate the band this morning leading us into worship. It's not just Sunday morning or a Sunday, but it's for Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, and yes, even Friday and Saturday. So, while we explored the what and the why, briefly, the how. 
First, are we deeply aware of sin? First, ours, and then others. Now, don't stop looking around. This isn't comparing and contrasting. This isn't who's the greatest sinner in this. No, 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 no. You first are aware of, like the woman, how much sin is our debt. The woman did not compare herself to Simon. She just knew she had a huge debt of sin. Understand that now, no matter how good or respectable you are in your job, in society, or even here, if you're involved in every team, you're here every Sunday, which is fantastic, by the way, that doesn't suddenly mean you're right in God's sight. Because compared to a holy God, our sin incurs his wrath. And what's worse than being sent off the jail or bailiffs pounding at your door is if you're caught in the anger and fury of that moneylender of Christ, if your debt is not uncancelled and is unforgiven. Because if it is, it leads to the gateway of hell. So first, do we, are we aware of our sin and those who do not know him? Second, have we checked that we're forgiven? We came to the table crying about Christ's forgiveness. Because if we are forgiven, that wrath and that big debt is canceled. What a delight. Can you imagine for a moment if your mortgage is overdue and you cannot pay? And there's no way. And someone goes, I will pay for you. Wouldn't you have so much love for that person? Thank you for paying for all that. I do, I'm not being tossed out in the streets. Christ has done a far greater thing. And if we are forgiven... There's so much more to rejoice over. And if you haven't, afterwards, talk to me or John or any of the prayer ministry team because that's the most important thing to get tonight, today even, to be forgiven. Is this something that your young people, that your kids know, that your family knows, that you talk about with one another? Is this something that's your everyday reality or just something you think about on a Sunday? And finally, though that we are aware of our sin, we are forgiven, we now delight in Christ. Do we delight in him? You can only do that, you can only do the mission if you know of your sin, you know you're forgiven, and you know that Christ has done it. That you get your heartfelt hospitality towards him and towards others. Do you long for your neighbors, for your family members, for your work colleagues to know Jesus? Do you pray for them? Do you weep for them? Be like that woman who was not ashamed to weep because of her love for Christ, that, she, that Christ was unwelcomed. Do we weep? 
And this is a chance for me as well. Do I weep for those who I know who don't know him so that they might have their hearts turned and that Christ is welcomed every nook and cranny and crack in their hearts? And finally, on a Sunday morning, do we welcome those who come in? When was the last time you said hello to someone you didn't know? Because the danger, and I am guilty of this, we can go into our own shabibi groups and not realize someone might be new and that hello makes all the difference. So, is your heart hospitable or inhostile? Sorry, is your heart hospitable or inhospitable towards the mission and person of Jesus? Only a forgiven heart, deeply aware of your sin and delighting in Jesus We'll get you on that mission, we'll sort out your hospitality, and we'll propel you to love him. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you have come so that we may be forgiven. Lord, help us not to have hearts like Simon the Pharisee, but to be like that sinful woman who was so aware of her sin, but she came to you, believing in you for your forgiveness and was forgiven and was transformed. Lord, help us not to do things on our own agenda, with our own mission, but to do it on your terms. Lord, I pray Help us not to be like that shabibi, but to even be willing to be uncomfortable like that woman. Help us to be a church, Lord, who is welcoming and shows true, heartfelt, missional hospitality. And Lord, I pray for anyone here who has yet to know you. Let them come 